the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder and managing partner of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to nonprofits. Our line of credit program is easy, fast, inexpensive, and costs nothing until used, making it a great backup plan. If you would like to learn more about the program, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And if you decide to apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file that you can use if you use your line. Or feel free to give us a call at 862-207-4118. Again, if you want to get more information, just go to nonprofitmbapodcast.com and you know, we really believe at Financing Solutions that every nonprofit should have a line of credit, just in case. Today, I am excited to be speaking with Stephen Shattuck, who is the Chief Engagement Officer at Bloomerang, which is in a leader in donor management software. Stephen is a prolific writer and speaker as it relates to donor retention. You might have seen him in some of the conferences that you've gone to or on other podcasts. In Stephen's free time, he is actively involved in a ton of other nonprofits, including his own nonprofit, Launch Cause, which is dedicated to helping emerging nonprofit organizations in the Indianapolis area uh, to help them enhance the impact of their work. Stephen graduated with the honors from Ball State University in 2006 with a degree in telecommunications and creative writing. He resides in Indianapolis with his wife, son, and daughter. Today, Stephen will be talking about the importance of donor retention and the tools that are available to help nonprofits. Stephen, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thanks for having me. So I had a, uh, a speaker on our podcast uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about how uh, donors are just drying up, that that there are less donors giving small amounts of money and that you have to focus on the bigger donors um, who uh, could potentially give more. Right. Uh, do you think that that's that, – that there's a trend going on where the middle donor is going away? Yes. We're, we're seeing that in data. If you look at the, the studies that come out every year, you know, the Giving USA study is a big one that, that indicates that, the Fundraising Effectiveness Project study that comes out every year. They're all saying that. And we're seeing, yeah, like you said, that middle of the pyramid go away. And it, it, it really has always been the case that, uh, about 80 to 90% of your funding is going to come from 10 to 20% of your donors. That has always been the case. The problem with, with what you just said, or the kind of the problem the sector is facing, is that it's harder and harder to get that 10 to 20% of loyal 
long-term donors who either have capacity or like you enough to maybe give beyond their capacity uh, to give you that large chunk of your funding. Uh, it, it, you know, we can't rely on a ton of small donors or a, a pretty good handful of mid-level donors. Um, and all of that goes back to retention. You're not going to get you know, a stranger to drop a million dollars in your lap. Usually the people that are giving you those big gifts uh, whether it's a planned gift or maybe they're contributing to a capital campaign or, or whatever it is, those people are usually people that have been giving to you for several years before making that larger commitment. Um, and that's why I always preach the importance of retention is you need to be having those ongoing relationships in order for those larger gifts to take place. And and it it, it always seems like when someone does leave that surprise gift from a complete stranger to an organization like that gets a lot of headlines and you know it, it seems like a feel-good story but it's not something that we can count on or assume is going to happen to us because it really is pretty rare but yeah everything you said is true that that stratification is happening um where the mid-level donors are disappearing and it's it's pretty alarming to to me and anyone else looking at that data so what are what are the key let's say top three uh, uh, things that someone needs to do in an organization needs to do in regards to donor retention? Yeah, uh, I love it. Uh, that's, that's it's my favorite thing. Like I'm so excited to talk about this. It's it, it really does take a focus, right? You, it, I think the first thing is you need to prioritize it. And it really starts as high as the board, it, you know, getting board involvement, board buy-in, and certainly leadership buy-in, whether it's your, your ED or your CEO or however you're structured. Uh, the first thing is to say, we care about retention, right? We recognize that this is an issue that most nonprofits are only retaining about 45% of their donors year after year, which is about the national average. We see this as a problem and we want to get off this acquisition treadmill. We don't want to always be having to replace half of our donors every year. So I think you kind of have to make that decision culturally first. And once you have, mm -hmm. we have research on this. There's a lot of interesting research from Penelope Burke, um, the Donor Voice, which is an awesome think tank that does lots of fun studies and, and uh, surveys and things like that. And most of these um, research studies that we have in, in terms of donor engagement and donor loyalty basically come down to just a couple of concepts. Number one, thanking your donors, thanking them quickly, thanking them personally, you know, not just sending out a templated letter that every single donor gets, regardless of how much they've given or how often they give. Um, but, uh, you know, a personal thank you, thank you, phone calls, handwritten notes, um, you know, something that really shows the donor that you took some time and are recognizing them as uh, the valuable donor that they are. And then I think the other key thing mm -hmm. is telling the donor the kinds of impact that they're having on the mission that they're donating to. A lot of times what mm -hmm. fundraisers do is they will communicate impact but they'll kind of frame it in a way that the nonprofit itself is kind of taking credit for it. And for sure, your program and services people deserve credit. But when it comes to donor communications, if you can kind of turn that spotlight from you yourself onto the donor and say, you know, dear Stephen, thanks for, so much for donating to us this year. 
you know, because of you, we have, we have fed so many people, we've put these kids through college, you know, whatever those mission moment or impact statements are, telling the donor those stories and not just waiting until the end of the year or, you know, in one gift acknowledgement, but throughout the year, telling those stories, you know, the charities that I give to and have been giving to year after year, they do a good job of that. They're always telling me awesome things that are happening in terms of the, the program output and the impact that they're having. I mean, thanking and reporting is really kind of an easy way and quick way to answer your question. If you do those things, your retention rates are going to go up. Uh, there's a mountain of research that suggests it, but so often after we do the hard work of fundraising, we, we sometimes kind of put our feet up and say, well, we're done. You know, we got a donor and we got the donation and, and now we can get back to uh, finding new donors and asking them for money. But to me, the real work of fundraising begins after the gift uh, is, is, is given, you know, acknowledging the donor, telling them those stories, getting to know the donor so that you, when it comes time to ask them for money again, you have a, a way of contextualizing that ask based on the kinds of things they're interested in, the things that you have learned about from them. Um, you know, it, it, it all comes down to relationship building, honestly. So, I mean, I'm sure Bloomerang, the company you work for now, uh, really has gotten this down to a science. So from the, yeah. from the big picture perspective first, the, the, what do you think Blue, uh, Bloomerang does uh, that, you know, is, is really identifying the key concept of donor retention? Yeah. Well, one thing that I think we do um, better than any other database products, and there's a lot of good database products out there, don't get me wrong. Um, but one thing we do is when you pull up a, a constituent profile in Bloomerang, you know, a donor, a volunteer, maybe even a board member or an employee, we will take all of the previous interactions they've had with your organization and we'll score them. We'll actually kind of give you a little bit of a thermometer view of how engaged that, that constituent is with your organization, whether they're cold, they're warm, they're really hot, they're on fire, they love you. And that gives our customers a lot of actionable insights to say, hey, we've got these on fire donors. Maybe we should ask them to um, modestly upgrade their giving. You know, they've been giving the same amount of dollars every year. They volunteer a few times a year. Maybe we should be a little bolder and say, hey, would you be willing to up your commitment? Maybe would you be willing to become a monthly donor? And conversely, all the people who are scoring maybe on the colder side, we need to warm them up. Maybe we need to and invite them out for coffee, get to know them. Maybe we need to send them some of those stories, those impact stories that I talked about before. Um, maybe invite them to become a volunteer for the first time. So I think what we do is we, rather than just being a passive, you know, kind of list of constituents that you have, we really give you insights into who are the people you should be talking to and what are the things you should be saying to them based on the type of supporter that they are. Uh, and and I, that's that's what I hear time and time again when I talk to customers or when I'm out at conferences and run into customers that they love that because they can really um, be proactive with their supporters rather than kind of guess, you know, who, who should we ask for upgrades from? Who should we ask to become volunteers? Who should we ask to become monthly donors? And, and, and a lot of times the data doesn't give them those insights uh, and, and they end up kind of just 
you know, wandering in the dark and, and hoping that they, they ask the right person, the right thing at the right time. We kind of take the guesswork out of that. You know, it's interesting. Like I certainly donate quite a bit of money and to a lot of different organizations and I never get calls. Right. It's always <laughs> emails. Yeah. You know, it's always emails and, and so, you know, some of the donations are quite big. So, I mean, listen, I know that if I was giving, you know, 10 to $20,000, that I probably would be getting a call. Yeah. Right. And I think the biggest donation I'm doing is like maybe $5,000. Wow. You know? Yeah. And like, I think it depends on the organization that you're sure. giving it to. Right. Well, and yeah, it, it, it kind of breaks my heart to hear you say that because, you know, $5,000 may not be a lot to that organization. You know, maybe their, their major gift threshold is five or six figures. I don't know what it is necessarily, but, but to you, $5,000, that, that may have, you know, you may have felt writing that check, right? That may have been a, a major gift to you. And I think what happens so often is we rely on too much what we consider a major gift organizationally versus what the donor considers yeah, yeah, yeah. a major gift, yeah. right? And I'm yeah. not I'm not a big fan of segmenting your your acknowledgement efforts based on gift amounts. I think that a $5 donor should get a thank you phone call if it's their first gift, right? Because what yeah. we see in terms of retention rates is that that first time donor retention rate is less than 20%. You know, the national average for all donors is about 45%. But if you zero in on specific frequencies of donors, those new donors who have just given you their first gift, it's less than 20%. And you need, most of the time, you need that second gift in, in order to make up your ROI on your acquisition costs. So to me, I if I was running a development department, I would get rid of gift amount completely as a threshold of, for deciding whether or not to acknowledge a gift a certain way and say, okay, we need to, we need to call all of our first time donors who, who made a gift this week or today, if, if maybe the volume isn't that low and let's, let's thank them. Let's really welcome them into the family of donors. Let's get to know them so that we will hopefully get some insights into how to ask them for that second gift because we want that second gift and, and maybe move them into volunteerism or maybe move them into monthly giving. You know, you, you, made, you gave us $5 on Giving Tuesday. Hey, would you be willing to give $5 a month? You know, you can, you can have all of this impact throughout the year. Um, I, 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 it, it, I think that, you know, the first thing you mentioned with that stratification of giving, I think it's because we put more value on those big dollar donors than we do maybe in the new donors and new donors rarely give at capacity, right? Because they don't really know what, what the, the impact of that gift is going to be. And they, they're maybe testing the waters with you perhaps. Um, so I always look to frequency and recency as the basis for how to acknowledge gifts and not so much the dollar amount. And I understand like if you have a, a high gift volume and if you only can make a couple phone calls a day, yeah, you probably will want to gravitate towards those larger gifts. Like common sense definitely comes into play there. But all things being equal, if you can get your board members involved in that thanking process, if you can get volunteers involved, I think that's a worthwhile endeavor because the research shows that there's really nothing more important than thanking the donor in terms of getting them to give again. And someone may be a millionaire, you know, they may be a middle class 
person that has been saving all their life and, and they don't have anyone to leave their uh, estate to. And it, I would feel bad if you miss that person just because they only gave you $25 once a year. Uh, and you said, well, that's a small donor. I'm not going to pay attention to them. You know, who are the rich people in, in our city? Let's pay attention to them. I, th- I think that's really the root of our problem is we have this kind of cultural mindset I mean, of, it, of judging people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think like, for example, like maybe there's a new organization I feel that I'm going to give money to. And I give, yep. I start off like with $250, Yeah, you know, that organization doesn't know that if, uh, that I'm capable of a lot more. Exactly. You know, and then, you know, if I could think of, I was running a nonprofit, right. I would say we are not going to do any emails. Mm-hmm. And it would just force us to be on the phone talking to donors. You know, I don't know if I would continue that forever or, you <laughs> right. know, you know, right. Uh, but I, I think that's, and you know, I'm not, listen, it may, I'm sure it's being done out there and, mm-hmm. um, you know, requires personnel and are there, are there companies that you can outsource? And I'm not saying this is a great, uh, great yeah. idea, but can you outsource your, your donor calls to a company? Probably. Um, that's an interesting concept. I know there are services that you can outsource handwritten notes to. Mm. Um, I I would consider that to be, you know, comparable to the concept you're saying of a phone call. Um, it's interesting there, you know, we're in a digital age, we're recording this in 2020. Um, you know, we get mountains of emails every day. I'm starting to see the pendulum swing back towards analog communications as being really effective because of what mm-hmm. you just said, you have never gotten the thank you phone call. I've gotten very few. I, I probably give to, to more charities by volume. Cause I'm just kind of a geek about it. I like to see what people do and maybe that's why I've gotten more. Um, but it, they stand out, right? The phone call, the handwritten note, cause they're so rare. We're getting bombarded with, you know, Facebook ads and emails. And I, I, you mentioned tools. And I think it's really interesting that the, these old school tools that we have always had that have kind of fallen out of favor now really are kind of a secret weapon for people because they're a great way to stand out. Um, you know, outsourcing phone calls, I think there's a way you could do that and not lose kind of the cachet. And that is, Get volunteers, get people who are maybe not employees of your organization, but who are connected in some way. Board members, there's really interesting research from Penelope Burke that shows that board members who make thank you phone calls, um, those pay dividends more than anyone else making a phone call, even an employee. Um, but you know, any kind of volunteer, I, I think there is a way to make these things happen without you yourself, you fundraiser listening to this podcast you know, staying an extra two hours or whatever every day making phone calls, like get your board involved, get volunteers involved, maybe even service recipients, you know, people who have, you know, gone through your programs or who benefit from your services. Those could be great people to call as well. And they, they may like to do that because they're, they're thanking the people that have directly contributed to the things that are helping them in their lives. Um, I, I think it's definitely doable, you know, one way or the other, whether you outsource it, volunteers, board members, whatever, but it's possible. Yeah. You know, I, when I, um, I first started my career, I worked for Xerox for eight years and 
Mm. For, for those of you who are young, <laughs> I'm 55. So <laughs> um, Xerox in its day was the Google of today or, you know, Google started right. to get out, out of Vogue too. But uh, <laughs> so the, uh, we had a great CEO. His name was David Kearns and, and uh, uh, at least for, for the first couple of years that I worked there. And he made it a point to every day call a client, mm. find out how we were doing. Yeah. You know, like Xerox, you know, is a $10 billion company. Right. And the reason, the reason why he did that was because he wanted to stay close to the customer. And I, yeah. you know, I, it was really good. And so I think one of the things that I would have, would have considered doing if I was a, a, a executive director of a nonprofit is everybody is going to call donors. Yes. Everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, you might only make one call a day. You only might be responsible for five. Your skills, you know, may not be great, uh, yeah. but we're going to train you up. Yeah. And even if it's not so good, because one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, do you think, let's just talk about smaller uh, nonprofits okay. that are under $5 million in revenue. Okay. Um, do you think that, that their culture is more driven to providing the services to the to the people that they their nonprofit is trying to serve mm -hmm. or their culture is more driven toward raising money i think it depends on the cause type that they operate in and also where their funding comes currently so if mm. they are an organization where it's a majority grants and maybe fee for service or you know, government reimbursement, those kinds of channels that aren't individual fundraising, then yeah, culturally, they're probably not going to have that, you know, culture of philanthropy where they're calling donors to say thanks and, and doing all the things that we've been talking about today. I think yeah. that, and, and that's kind of a vicious cycle because it, it, it's even harder for them culturally to make that shift and then go out when there isn't that big base of donors to start with. I think that's that's probably the biggest differentiator between the ones that are doing it and the ones that aren't. And it's interesting. We, you know, a lot of times I think the conventional wisdom is that those larger organizations are better at this stuff. And I actually yeah. see the opposite where hmm. even small organizations, organizations under a half a million in revenue or maybe even a quarter million in revenue, I see those folks as the ones that are really good at handwritten notes, phone calls, telling those stories because they're kind of living on the edge and maybe they have that smaller group of donors and they know they got to hang on to those people yeah. because that can mean the difference between making payroll that month or not. Um, and, and that excites me because if they do a good job and they stick on and they stick with it, they're going to grow and they're going to have that culture and it's just going to scale really well. Um, but you know, the small organizations, you, you're set up to do this. You don't have to be, uh, these household names, these, you know, millions of dollars in revenue a year, uh, to make this happen. Like you're set up, I mean, getting a, a letter, a phone call from the ED founding board members, that's going to stand out to donors and, and they're going to feel like they're getting personal attention that they're not getting from those mega, you know, household name nonprofits where they're just, you know, maybe just a number in a database um, amongst millions that are donating to them. Yeah. So I'll give you a roundabout way of an example of like where software can actually change mm. your culture. Um, yeah. 
And so, you know, my company financing solutions, you know, we prov- provide lines of credit. And one of the things that uh, I, I, I had was doing some work in was I, I saw that we just weren't getting clients would fill in our, you know, our two minute application mm-hmm. and we weren't getting back to them quick enough. Mm. And because we didn't get back to them quick enough, uh, we couldn't get them on the phone. Yeah. Um, which, cause like it's a small process, but once we get them on the phone, we just ask them one or two questions and then we get them out an offer letter and, and that's yeah. it. So, so because we couldn't get up to them on the phone, everything got backed up and it when I looked at the analysis, I, what I found out was it was the software that we were using, which was not really built for that. Mm. So then I found a company, this company is called Velocify, and th- that their, never, their number one priority was making sure that you, that the sales force that we have got a hold of, oh, it's a relationship manager really, but uh, uh, got back to the client super quick. Yeah. And, and had a set schedule of when they would follow up with yeah. them. And we went from, you know, you know, we really made a huge jump and improvement in customer quality, customer satisfaction, mm-hmm. and, and, our, and our results uh, just because that software, which changed our culture. Yeah. And, and so – I can see where somebody is very certain, like someone who owns, uh, sorry, not owns, who's an executive director for a nonprofit, where they are service oriented toward the cause that they're involved with. And then they come to you. And just by getting the donor management software, all of a sudden it changes their culture. Yeah. And, you know, you can't use Excel to do the things that I'm talking about, right? Yeah. You know, we want the the software that alerts you when, hey, you have a new donor, you know, ding, 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 kind of alarm bells go off, red flags. You got a brand new donor. You should call them and see what's up. Say thank you, but also kind of figure out what makes them tick. So, yeah, the database is is first. And then I would add on other things like a survey tool um, that is asking your current supporters Hey, how are we doing? Are we telling you the stories we want to hear? Are we telling you enough stories? Are we thanking you properly? Why do you give? You know, why do you care about this cause? And you can get that information other ways, but if, you know, if a survey might be a nice fallback. And that, that information that you get back is is so valuable in tweaking or pivoting the things that you're saying to those donors rather than just, you know, guessing or hoping that this is going to resonate with the supporter. And then I, I think the third thing is, is wealth screening tools where, you know, you've got all these people in your yeah. database, you know, something about them, you know, who has capacity, who are people that are not giving at the capacity that they are, that their maybe wealth screening profile is, is alluding to, you know, here's a donor that's giving us a hundred dollars a year. They seem to really like us. We've never asked them to give more, but they're giving these other charities, you know, four or five figure gifts a year. Why aren't we in that uh, cohort of, of generosity, perhaps? Maybe we should be a little bit bolder in, in our ask amount. So, you know, once you, yeah, the database for culture, you know, the survey tool for kind of that intelligence and then wealth screening that kind of guides your, your ask amounts and your upgrade efforts and you're in business. I mean, those three things 
you're in great shape. And, and, and it kills me because those tools don't often get the attention that maybe like this, a whiz bang social media thing does, or, you know, email, you know, we talked about email, email is okay. You know, I got nothing against email necessarily, but these other things that don't kind of have the cachet that these other shiny objects have, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to steer people away from those things into the more practical uh, things that will really help them. Plus the analog tools, you know, the phone and, and a handwritten note worked a hundred years ago. It works now and, it, and it'll work a hundred years from now too. Yeah. So I got two questions. Does, does Bloomerang have the built-in, uh, those two tools? So yeah. they do have the built-in wealth yep. management and do, do they have the, the, the survey yeah, have built into it? Built in, so you don't need a separate hmm. piece of software. Now, if, if you have, if you use something now that doesn't have those additional things, you know, don't be discouraged. You can go out and, and use multiple programs and maybe piece it together. It may take a little bit more work, but but that, that's why we made the investment in bringing all of those things in-house because we know all the research says that that kind of that information, that intelligence can be so powerful for you. So we kind of made the investment there. And we have, I mean, we have customers that, that live and die by that stuff. They're sending out the surveys. They're creating you know, advanced segments of people based on how they're responding and the types of donor that they are. And then you know, they're digging into the well screening data and, and making some, some really targeted asks based on the, the, the data that they're finding on those people. And it's, it's really fun to see. Yeah, there's an old adage in business, and that is uh, it's better to do one thing really good and do eight things terrible. Right. You know, so, Absolutely. you know, I could definitely <laughs> see where the, you know, I'm a big software guy. So usually <laughs> like the, the donor management software to me would be like a, you have to have it. You yes. know, I mean, I can kind of see it and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to promote blue, uh, Bloomerang, but, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, but you know, it's just that whole segment. I, I, I think it's an important step at, at what level of, of a nonprofit does it make sense to start bringing in uh, donor management software? Like well, what's the revenue? I tell you, we, we give Bloomerang away for free to people that are making less than $100,000 in, in annual revenue. It's the, Jeez, it's, I should have started off with yeah. that. Huh? And yeah. so, I mean, we, want, we agree. We want people using the database. We don't care yeah. that we're not making money on that because we see people grow. They grow into the full price packages because we're getting them off on that good footing. I don't think yeah. there is too small of an organization that, that can start there. You know, get off the Excel spreadsheets. You know, you know, an email program is not your database, even though you do need email marketing in some cases. You know, I don't don't think you're too small. I, I really don't think there's anyone who's too small to use a, a nice database product. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Good. So let's let's summarize because we're running out of time. So okay. number one is in regards to uh, donor retention. The number one is. Be aware. Be aware yep. that you know this is something that we have to get good at. This is something that's really important. You know, what's our current yeah. strategy right now? You know, do we have a strategy? Is it work? Does it not work? Do we need to improve? How can we improve it? Uh, number two is come up with an action plan. Right? Yeah. An action plan might be uh, let's get the donor management software or uh, you know a donor management software uh, like a, a Bloomerang, uh, but yep. it also means you know let's who do we get involved? Do we get the board involved in making calls? Is that is that our strategy? Yeah. Uh, you know, you know. So, and then the third, what was the third step that you kind of talked about? 
and and I think I think another practical thing you can do. This is probably the third step I said, but gather those stories. Mm-hmm. You know, what are we got to thank people, but are, what are the stories we can tell? And, and oftentimes, there's those are all in kind of different employees' heads, and they haven't been written down. You know, you may have an employee that always tells that same story about a patient or someone who went through the program. Gather all that those stories and write them down. Put them in a centralized location so that the team that you assemble can draw on those things when they're making phone calls or writing handwritten notes or writing thank you letters or sending emails, anything you do, um, you know, kind of centralize all those stories and, and have that culture of storytelling because other than thanking, telling those impact stories is the, is the best thing you can do for donors to keep them around. Yep. Good stuff. So mm-hmm. I'd like to thank uh, so very much, uh, Stephen from Bloomerang uh, to be on, being on today's podcast. Uh, If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at www.nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Stephen, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah, just uh, boomerang.co. It's boomerang, but with an L in front of the B. Uh, You can Google Boomerang. You'll find us. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter, just at Stephen Shattuck. I'd love to hear from you. Great. Thanks a lot for today's uh, 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 great information that you provided us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to thank our listeners, you know, and also thank you for making the world a better place. 